Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Lean On Me. The dedicated but tyrannical Joe Clark is appointed the principal of a decaying inner city school. He is determined to improve by any and all means. This is a film we watched. It wouldn't be an 80s series without ending it on a real clunker, huh? I guess so. We have watched a lot worse. Mm-hmm. See Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> I don't know. That one doesn't make me mad. No, what's maddening about this movie is that it is emotionally manipulating you the entire time, mm-hmm. but it's not doing a good job of it. Yeah. So it's infuriating because all of the beat story beats and tactics movies use to do that to you don't work. I just like... The concept, you know, like school gone bad needs to be cleaned up. Unconventional methods. Cool. But, you know, there are so many other ways you could have done this. There's so many ways you could have done this. And also, this is based on a real person. Yeah. Uh, But let me tell you, this movie has nothing to do with what actually happened. Well, that's annoying. Like... (laughs) That's that's a thing where I'm like, cool, I'm I'm fine with you taking inspiration from a real person or, or, or event. That happens all the fucking time. Yes. But if you're going to change things to such a degree that you really can't say this is that person's story, you change the name. You you say, you know, based on a true story or inspired by a true story. And then you leave it at that. You don't name him Joe Clark. And you don't have it be East Side High School. Yeah. There's, again, I, I, I could be mad, but it's a competently made movie. Mm-hmm. The acting's pretty fucking good. Okay. It's just that none of it really amounts to much mm-hmm. other than making white people feel better about not having to deal with something in their lives because a man took action for them. Yeah, but I do like that. I, I will say this: there's no white saviors in this in this movie, so that's positive. It's positive. However, I will note that uh, that that is an intriguing thing as part of the backstory and the history of this. Mm-hmm. That it almost does it to a fault to the actual Joe Clark. Mm-hmm. Like the the liberties that this movie took with the real man's story are also just such a pie in the face to what he was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't think he's a good guy. I don't think the movie portrays him as a good guy. I think there is an argument to be made that at certain times, what you're seeing is so dire in front of you that you need to take drastic measures like this. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that was the situation. But I got to tell you, by no means is there a consensus on that. And by no means is it so clear cut. Mm-hmm. This movie tries to paint a certain specific picture of the inner city that is total horseshit. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Nope. Like if you want to, if you want to know what real life in that city is, Abbott Elementary. And I say that because Abbott Elementary said we're going to show what it's actually like for teachers in a large urban area with budget struggles, but also mm-hmm. very smart kids. Yeah. That's that's the 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 aim of that. I mean, the aim is just different in here. I feel like you know, I there's the film Dangerous Minds, which is based on the book My Posse Don't Do Homework, um, which is very good, and the adaptation is is pretty good as well. And then my I I 
just had a random pull in my brain of like, oh, Sister Act 2, which is like <laughs> much more comical and lighthearted. But like the school's struggling. This group of kids is definitely not doing great. And it's not nearly as hard as the kids in this movie. But it's really more like we're going to take an unconventional approach to like connect with these kids to make them care about like where their life is going. Well, fuck it. We watched Fame at the beginning of this series. Yeah. And Fame is melodramatic. Sure. But Fame was also attempting to be realistic about what it was like being in the middle of New York City as a teenager Mm -hmm. trying to make it on some of the biggest stages. Yeah. And yeah, it overdid it. But it really touched on some of that at some points, mm-hmm. like the actual struggle involved there. Yeah. And this movie doesn't even bother to try. It just goes really hard, really fast, and then just continues to be ridiculous. And it's it's hard not to watch this with like, oh, you could there's there's no place where like you could get away with that in today's society. Like, I don't care what's happening at the school, that would never be okay for completely different reasons. But it's just kind of like, even in this world, in this time, it it doesn't work. It doesn't track. Yeah, let's get into that. Okay. Let's get into it not tracking. First of all, the budget for this movie was $10 million. Hmm. Not a lot of money, but you know, we're not, we're not dealing with super high powered stars. We are just dealing with some very talented actors. Okay. It grossed $32 million. Not a bad return for a movie like this. Uh, the movie had actually been optioned by Universal in 1984, but it had stalled out, and then Warner Brothers took over, finally paying Clark $15,000 and a small percentage of the gross. Mm. So he made, he probably made, you know, if he got 1%, that's 300K. Mm-hmm. That ain't bad at all. Mm. Now, this leads us into the history, and this is going to be the biggest part of this episode. In fact, Diana, I have no extra trivia involved here. Oh, wow. Okay. Most of this relates to the actual Joe Clark. Mm. His disciplinary methods did reshape how the behaviors at the school. So his tactics and his demeanor, I think, are very accurately portrayed. In fact, he he was kind of quoted as saying, like, the movie was about 95% accurate, although uh, we will get into some of the very specific things that show up that are not historic, not factually accurate Mm -hmm. but while they changed the behaviors the academics did not improve Hmm. the math scores only rose six percent at the school and reading scores barely increased the dropout rate at the school was 13 percent before he started as principal and by 1988 it was up to 21 percent now i have to add here that that has a lot to do with him dismissing students early on Mm -hmm. and as a note, the 300 kids summarily dismissed at the beginning of the film, that's not a real thing. Okay. The, he did not dismiss a whole bunch of drug dealers and drug users in a single assembly. Instead, over the course of his time, he dismissed 135 would-be juniors and seniors because their poor attendance and grades uh, caused issues. Hmm. Part of that, too, is some people thinking it's a number. it was a numbers game for him mm-hmm. on raising those test scores. Okay. And, you know, we'll get into some of the criticism, but I think many people pointed to, if you're just adding up the numbers here, is he just getting rid of kids who they think are problems in order to try to boost the scores? Hmm. Yeah. Which is entirely possible. It's a strategy. 
Oh, yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, that actually what where I grew up, there was a little bit um, it was at it was a little bit after my time, but in the same school district. But there was a period of time where like I heard a mom say, yeah, well, if my kids go to like they're supposed to go to this school. But if we send them to the other one, they'll actually be rank hired because the test scores at that school is so low. I'm like, what? I was like, that, that's like, like, how is that even like, I want to send my kids to a different school just so they look better. I hate like it's a game. It's all a game. And I hate that shit. Yeah. And back then. And, and let's be clear, right there. While that sucks mm-hmm. in a moment of crisis like this, where the state is threatening to take the school away from the city. Mm-hmm. you got to figure out whatever every strategy you're willing to employ yeah like don't get me wrong i don't love it but also if you're faced with that situation that might be the hard decision you have to make yeah we're gonna go hard line and if that means some kids get kicked to the curb that's what we have to do mm-hmm. you know i can't necessarily fault people for for trying to figure that out but it did raise criticism again because the academics weren't increasing even with the hardline policies. Uh, as one fellow reformer of the time pointed out, somebody else who was involved in a similar thing and was interviewed about it, quote, our role is to rescue and to be responsible. If the students were not poor black children, Joe Clark would not be tolerated, unquote. Mm. That's an interesting quote. Yeah. And telling about him, it's one of those things where you you typically would think the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's something to that of like, if it weren't for the fact that people's expectations were so low for these kids, this tyrant would not be allowed to run this ship. Yeah. But the expectations are so low and the state is willing to do anything to try to figure this out mm-hmm. that they're just going to put up with this hard ass. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I and I, I get the whole like it's. This we're so far gone. We'll take whatever whatever you think you is gonna work with these kids. Whatever we gotta do, we gotta throw something at this. Like I get that, and like as a storytelling component, like that that makes complete sense. Like I totally get it. I'm on board for that. But this, but for it to not like it's just not good. It's not good. Well, it also rings hollow in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Like at the end, it all wraps up and it's fine because. Our director has taken us through the appropriate story beats to get us to the satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. However, when the parents raise up in Righteous Fury, they're right. Yeah. And what I hate is that he doesn't come in. The The way you employ this is you say, you want to know why I'm being a hard ass on your kids? Numbers. Numbers. Here's the problems. Here's how many drug dealers are in the school. Here's all of this. And you just lay it fucking bare. Yeah. If that was the tactic the entire movie long where this guy is presented to us as like, yeah, I'm a dictator, but look at how fucked up we are right now. Yeah. And if that was the character, I would not mind this movie. Mm -hmm. Instead, he goes on a full court pastor blitz. Yeah, kind of. And ignores every criticism involved. Like that is the thing about this movie that I think is also infuriating. The Mm -hmm. character refuses to acknowledge any valid criticism yeah like uh with the one kid who like came back the next day and was like i would like please let me in please like you know like who 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 makes a very heartfelt plea like let me prove myself to you and he's like okay like that was good but there should have been more of that 
Like, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and you've got to convince me to to change, to to meet you halfway. Because right now we're not meeting anywhere near each other. So this is what it's got to be. Like, that was good. I liked that. But there's it's just it just goes so hard. They want you to think he's he's the hard ass with a heart of gold. But he's not. But they don't give you enough of the heart of gold. <laughs> no, like you see the sweetness with him with the with the girl that was a former student of his, which is nice, but it's also like it doesn't like it's there's not enough of that. There's not enough of him doing that with multiple students. Like we didn't we didn't get to know or care about enough individual students for his tactics to make sense for the school as a whole. Yeah. A lot of principals did fall in with him, unsurprisingly. Uh, Kenneth Toole, a former principal, said the following, quote, you cannot use a democratic and collaborative style when crisis is rampant and disorder reigns. You need an autocrat to bring things under control, unquote. Mm. No, <laughs> that doesn't work. These are children. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. That's just weird. And tossing out delinquent students moved the problems to the street. National dropout rates were high across the board in the late 1980s. We were going through a real dark economic period. Things were struggling. It took a while to bounce back. Yeah. But many outstanding principals were able to accomplish similar goals without abandoning kids. Hmm. And Joe Clark really did. Huh? Now, on to the facts that this movie changed. First of all, Joe Clark did not teach at Eastside High School in 1967. Hmm. And he most certainly was not molding white minds in radical race ideals and civil rights. Mm -hmm. They show him as a teacher of like a mixed class with a bunch of white kids. Mm -hmm. He started teaching at Eastside High in 1972, teaching remedial reading to mostly black students. Mm -hmm. And even if it had been 1967, before the white flight had really hit, the high school was still 46% black. So they have already set him up as some weird champion. Yeah. Which is not fucking true. Yeah. Now, they did move him to school number six, which was a tough elementary in one of the worst neighborhoods in Patterson, New Jersey. 90% of the students at that school were poor black or Latino kids reading below grade level. By 1982, he had done such a great job there. He was hailed as a miracle worker. And that is when they called him over to come to Eastside. Mm-hmm. We talked about the 300 and the single assembly, which was a whole bunch of bullshit. The other thing, the crux of this movie, the fire chains, mm -hmm. he was never arrested for that. Okay. The second they told him to take it off, he did. Yeah, that's the thing that I thought was so absurd. They pushed that point so hard. And in, the, in this actual story, I think it was just he did it one time. They told him to take it off and he did, but he used it to make the point, right? Yeah. That's what he was doing. He was just trying to get some attention on that of like, look at how fucking insecure the school is. Yeah, this is how far I have to go to like to make it seem like we're safe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. And while it may make sense for the uh, politics and messaging of the film and the not having a white savior narrative, Clark had a huge broad support from the white establishment in Patterson, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The mayor of Patterson was one of Clark's earliest supporters and stayed on with him the entire run. Where racist, soulless dickhead. <laughs> okay. Eastside High had two white vice principals who both supported Clark the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it was a white member of the Board of Education, William Pascrell, who lobbied to get Clark assigned to Eastside. And all of this is coming from an LA Times article from a writer 
for the times who at who was in Patterson at the time he was principal. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that to to say that having a, a non-white savior narrative is important for the story, but it's kind of wild that they made everything about that when in reality Clark had support from everyone in the city on this. Mm-hmm. The whole point is that he, if you're going to tell his story, you should show people slowly getting on board. Yeah. And buying in instead of him always being the antagonist. We're not supposed to hate this man. No. We're supposed to be shocked by him, but we're not supposed to hate him. Mm -mm. And by the end of it, I do. Yeah. Joe himself was critical of the portrayal of the mayor and some of the establishment figures. This is where he gave away the the 95% accurate line. Mm-hmm. But he was real cautious of like, that's not what it was like at all with them. The fire chief, the mayor, like I had good working relationships with the power brokers in the city. Hmm. Because I, that's the other thing. The only way a guy like this stays in power is if everybody's backing his vision. Yes. And that's, if you wanted to make this movie, it's everybody hates him or is confused or is so befuddled by why he's doing this and slowly but surely he wins everyone including the kids on board yeah you've just you've you've got to have some build up he's either got to be super hard and then he softens as he works with the kids and like he figures out where like where those boundaries have to be or he starts out like just i don't it just there has to be some progression in some way and there's not any they, I, and, and I like the, the writer of this article, like I said, it, it was a takedown of the movie, but in the way of like, if they wanted to tell this man's story, why didn't they just tell this man's story? Mm-hmm. Now, an interesting note, around the time the film debuted, he was suspended for a week by the school board after an assembly where dancers stripped down to G-strings. Oh boy. Shortly thereafter, he resigned despite claiming he had not known about the dancers in advance and didn't think it was really a big deal. It was a cultural dance. No. Now, he was so popular in Republican circles because he was never a radical. He was always a Republican. Mm-hmm. He had already been courted by the Reagan administration for an education advisory position because, of course, he was. Yay. This is such a Reagan and Bush bullshit type of movie. Oh, totally. And ironically, Frank Napier, his lone supporter in the film, is the guy who suspended him in real life. Interesting. In 1995, he got hired to run a juvenile detention center in Newark, a position he held until resigning in 2002, and of course, continued to come under fire for controversial methods at the juvenile detention center. (laughs) So he ran a prison after this. Great. That attracts. Great. Look, the man is complicated. <laughs> Real history is almost always more complicated than you can fit into a single film. And I totally get it. Sure. And I don't even think that his story necessarily on its own makes for a good linear progression of a story. Mm-hmm. But as we walk into our writing here, why y'all didn't even try. Nope. Not really. Our writer is a gentleman by the name of Michael Schiffer. Before this movie, he wrote Colors, which is the movie that John Singleton called out in his USC class before deciding to go make Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. An incredible, powerful statement about inner city life. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> After this, he wrote Crimson Tide, The Peacemaker, The Four Feathers, The Call of Duty video games, and wow. The Painted Bird. What do we think of the writing of this movie? 
It's trash. It's just trash. Was it? Like it's just trash. It's not. It's not good. It's trash, and then it's missed opportunity after missed mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. To show levels in this guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a tour de force. Don't get me wrong, but like, at what cost? Wow, he's got some really compelling scenes, and he gets to yell a lot at kids, which I think in 1989 nobody fucking thought about. No. They're dangerous. It's it, This is like in the era of the super predator shit, mm-hmm. getting ready for the crime bill in the 90s. I hate it. And it's just dripping with all of that. Because mm-hmm. our writer is white and our director is white and it's just oozing all over this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's weirdly, I think, the opposite of the white savior issue. Yes. Where like, great, there's no white saviorism. Instead, there is... All of the subtle, deep-seated racism Mm -hmm. of everything going on in this movie. And again, the only way these stories work is if you actually get at the core of these being children. Because they are children. Even the guy who gets kicked out and comes back and is going to stab somebody. That's a kid. Yeah. And you have to deal with that part of it if you're actually going to tell the story well. Yeah, there's... there's just really not those moments of like softness and like reminding like like they're actual children or they're, they're supposed to be actual children and they're dealing with heavy shit and like there's no like grace with that i mean i guess they show it with the one kid but like it's just it's not enough it's it's the most reagan era bullshit mm-hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with reality mm-hmm. and it's just what they it's just what these dudes and so many people just saw as look at all these horrible, terrible people, grown ups in school. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, none of them are adults. None of them have a fully a full understanding of the consequences of these situations. Mm-hmm. That's not what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Our director mm. is John G. Adelson. Okay. Dinah, we're a fan of this, man. Are we? We are. Because he directed Rocky. Oh, fuck. And he directed Rocky Five. Love Rocky. And he directed Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3. Love Karate Kid. I don't remember 2 and 3 very well, but I love them. We know this man's directing style. Okay. What do we think of the directing in this movie? I mean, it was directed. I just, I, I don't know how you fix a script that this bad like even with great performances and the the directing, the directing is fine. Uh, I don't think it does anything special. That's fine because the script is ruining anything that we might have thought was special. That's that's the problem for the whole film. Uh, directing is fine. You got you earned a paycheck. Good for you. He hits every single story beat. Pretty much with the most powerful statement, just like Rocky. Mm-hmm. Except Rocky had heart. Rocky was well written. Karate Kid, well written. Dumb, but well written. Karate Kid's not dumb. It was nuanced. It's that's true. The, that's the difference. It's nuanced. Hey, co- the Cobra Kai series is phenomenal. I'm behind by like a season and a half, but it is phenomenal. I just, re- like, the original Karate Kid is very much a popcorn movie. So dumb's not the right word, but it's not intended to be like something deep and philosophical, whereas Rocky on occasion gets there. I don't know, man. Why did you make this movie? It just is not, not, no. Now, one fun thing, the whole movie was filmed at Eastside High in Patterson. 
actual Eastside students and neighboring students from other schools portrayed the students in the film. Mm-hmm. And then the lead roles went to first-time actors discovered at open auditions. Mm, okay. All right, let's talk about maybe the one big shining thing from this movie, and that is our cast. Okay. We got three main people to talk about, and our first one is the voice of God himself, Morgan Freeman, He's lovely. playing Principal Joe Clark. He's great. I mean, Morgan Freeman, I mean, he's never bad. He's in, he could be in bad movies, but he's never bad in a movie. Different so. gear for him. Yeah. Kind of cool to watch. Yeah, we're we're a little more used to like noble gentlemen, and this is more like I'm gonna fuck you up. He's normally very understated, or if you uh, have seen the clips of him on Electric Company, very goofy and hippie, which they totally play into at the first scene of the movie, which I kind of love because I was not expecting that. <laughs> There's something really interesting about the character that they never explore in the script, but I feel like Morgan did latch onto, which is mm-hmm. like. You know, the way they tell the story, he was a radical, he was a guy willing to organize, and then they kind of broke him. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he went the opposite direction. He he buys into the Reagan stuff, and this is this is a common thing for some people. It's really interesting to hear like some of the people in the hippie movement that came out of it in like the nineties and stuff and look and go, Yeah, you know, the yuppies were the hippies who looked around and be like, man, we're never going to beat these guys. I might as well get mine. Yeah, no. And I understand that. He felt sold out. He felt sold out. And then he gets this opportunity. And so he says, you know what? I'm not going to let these kids squander this. Mm-hmm. But there's no nuance whatsoever to that idea. No. And then Morgan's just like, well, I got to play the moment. So he yeah. did. Mm-hmm. T- to note this in his timeline. He does this the same year as Glory and Driving Miss Daisy. This was a busy year for him. I mean, what a fucking Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy. I know. And an Obie because he played the role in the play. Wow. Like, and then Glory, he's awesome. He's so fucking good in Glory. And then this is just like, he's good. Mm-hmm. But why? <laughs> wow. Who could have been better? Sidney Poitier. I mean, he, he'd been good. He turned it down because he didn't agree with Joe's politics. Fair. Bill Cosby. Oh, of course, but no. He was considered too low energy for the role. Really? I don't disagree with that. His sternness on camera was always sort of the, I'm going to show you just how stupid you are for thinking this way. Because that was his comedy. Yeah, I get on board with that. But I don't think it works for Joe. I understand. Like, I understand thinking of him, too. Um, But no. Eddie Murphy. No, he's not mature enough for this yet. His contract with Paramount did not allow him to do a Warner Brothers movie. Otherwise, he very well could have been cast. Interesting. The studio wanted all these different people. Morgan was the first choice from Avilton and company. Okay. And finally, Danny Glover. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But he was committed to Lethal Weapon too. So, mm. all right, as Miss Levias, Principal Joe Clark's right-hand woman, mm-hmm. Beverly Todd. Before this, she was in They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, Roots, Vice Squad, and Moving. After this, she appeared on Six Feet Under, in the movie Crash, and in The Bucket List. Mm. What do we think of Beverly Todd in this movie? She's so underutilized. She's just a punching bag for Joe. So, uh, 
and it's like so I would have fucking frustrating. I would have liked her to be like a more formidable force, like and I don't know, like somebody who's like I'm here for whatever you want to try, and like I'm fine with there being someone to be questioned, but like and like basically she's just she's his, she's just his glorified assistant, like secretary. She's not even really a principal, and that's nothing to do with the actress. She's got a shit role. And w- why is there nobody being like? Do you even care about these kids? Yeah. Because she doesn't even get that. No. She's so put upon the entire time that they don't even let her have the perspective of, you don't even give a shit about some of these kids. Mm-hmm. Well, I care about this one girl. And what about this one? And this one? Mm-hmm. And this one? And if you sat down and took the time, and the way you do that is he's still a hard ass, but he, but that's where you see the connection to him like talking to each one of those kids the next day. Because he finally took a fucking day to sit down and listen to them. Yeah. And she's the one who did that. Mm-hmm. And yes, he's hard on her, but he also listens to her. Yeah. Barf. Yeah. This is a big barf. All right. Finally, we have Robert Guillaume as Dr. Frank Napier. Before this, he is most famous for appearing on the TV series Soap and then its spinoff, Benson, mm-hmm. uh, in which he then. Be- <laughs> A character from Soap goes on to be a politician. <laughs> then he was in Wanted, Dead or Alive. After this, Death Warrant, the Meteor Man. He is the voice of Rafiki from The Lion King. <laughs> Spy Hard, Sports Night, and Big Fish. And I believe he's a legendary stage performer too. But what do we think of Robert Guillaume in this movie? Oh, so good. He is great. And they wrote him really well because he's somebody who's higher up in the administration who totally understands um joe's like way of thinking like he understands how this guy operates and there's a level at which it's like i'm gonna give you a long leash here because i get it i know how you work but there's also a point where it's like i can't allow some of this bullshit and i like that and so their dynamic is great and he is great in it like they used him really well i wish they would have given the same type of writing and respect to the the assistant principal him in that council room. Yeah. It's magnificent mm-hmm. shit. Worry about the test scores. What the hell you think I'm worried about? End of discussion? Debate is over. You will write a formal apology. I will what? A formal apology for your treatment of Mrs. Elliot and Darnell and for your vicious and thoughtless insult to the women of this community. You will kowtow. You will step and fetch. Frank, if you think you can get me. Get used to it. It's the way of the world. If you're so hot on discipline, then goddammit. Start by accepting mine. And I like I've seen I, I think I've seen like a handful of times with Benson and stuff, and mm-hmm. he just like shows up in movies. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I know he's good. And then you just see him in this and you're like, fuck. Yeah. This is just good acting. <laughs> Watching him go after this man and then be like, I'm hungry. Get a burger. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to shout you down to the floor, and then we're gonna be friends again. <laughs> Pretty much. And it just, it comes back to like, had they written Joe to have a little bit more sensitivity to the grownups around him? Mm Because I get it. He's never going to give in to the kids. Yeah. But if he's more conflicted and quiet and calmer with the adults Mm -hmm. and it's it's less rigid and more of a -a tete-a-tete and we had all of it being a lot more like this with Dr. Napier, this movie would have been so much better. Oh, agreed. And that leads us to Arpons. And this will be the last segment, because like I said, there's no fucking trivia after this. Really? Okay. Yeah. 
We have Alan North as Mayor Don Botman. He was a longtime character actor who played the governor in Glory. Okay. Lynn Thigpen as Leona Barrett, the shrewish mom who has legitimate concerns about this man. Yep. Uh, she is the chief from Carmen San Diego. Yeah, when she started talking, I was just like, wait, that's the lady from Carmen San Diego. Uh, and she also appeared in Tootsie. Yeah, she did. Robin Bartlett as Mrs. Elliot. She has been in just about everything, including Shutter Island and Mad About You. She mm-hmm. is the music teacher who dares to defy him. Love it. On the one hand, I, I know that that scene is like immensely frustrating. On the other hand, it was like, I don't know. I kind of get it. Well, no, I, I completely get her because there's like, my, it's like ev- everything that's broken in the school, my thing is working. Don't fuck with my thing. Totally get it. Totally get On it. the flip side, I kind of get Joe being like, no, there will be no dissension because we all have to be united. Yeah, no, I, I totally get both sides. And I get that like, no, like, oh, she what she's doing is actually providing something. And I get like, no, it's all or nothing on this one issue. Like, I get it. And she's insubordinate and like all that shit. Fine. It was a good conflict. It comes back to if there is any nuance in the remainder of the movie, that scene sings. Yeah. No, I agree. (sighs) Sloan Shelton playing Mrs. Hamilton. She was the sister of the bookkeeper in All the President's Men. She brings uh, Dustin Hoffman a lot of coffee. Oh, yeah. Karen Melina White playing Kanisha Carter. She was a voice on The Proud Family and appeared on A Different World, Fresh Prince, and The Cosby Show. I recognized her from her voice. It's very distinctive. I was like, I have seen this woman so many times. Karina Oreave at playing Maria. She played the character Carla on Orange is the New Black. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yvonne Cole playing Mrs. Santos. She was Alba on Jane the Virgin and Yolanda in The Godfather Part 2. Oh, okay. Regina Taylor playing Mrs. Carter. She is a pretty well-known Dallas actor who appeared in The Unit and I'll Fly Away. Oh, okay. Playing Mr. William Wright, Joe Clark's security head, the candy man himself, Tony Todd. Oh, okay. Mike Starr playing Mr. Zarella. He is Mm. a legendary tough Italian guy who you right remember from a wonderful little movie called Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? It's that guy. Uh, Jim Moody playing Mr. Lott. He was a teacher in fame. He rounds out as a teacher in Lean on Me. All right. Michael Imperioli as mm-hmm. George. Christopher this from The Sopranos appeared in Goodfellas. He is one of the kids directly behind Joe when he makes his announcement on the stage. Mm-hmm. Marcella Lowry playing Mrs. Richard. She was the grandma on Ghost Rider. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love that show. Bruce Malmuth as the burger joint manager. He was the ring announcer from Karate Kid. Mm. Ahmed Best as an extra. This is Jar Jar Binks. Oh, wow. And as one of the students in blue appearing in the audience during one of the assemblies, a very young Tay Diggs. Oh, okay. He's in there somewhere. And that leads us to ratings. Wow, ratings. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, are we just going to do finger wags? Uh, I was going to be door chains. <laughs> Fire chiefs. No. Fire chiefs. One and a half. As one. It's one. And it's only for Morgan Freeman. Everything else can go fuck off. 
I'm getting Morgan Freeman. I'm getting Guillaume. I'm getting mostly the cast. Fine. Because everybody's pot committed. And then it's competently made. The, we, I can't knock it down as far because then the directing is like, well, it's a John Avildsen movie. It's got a lot of big emotional beat moments and stuff. And then it's just so god awful. This movie has nothing to say and it thinks it has everything to say. Mm-hmm. Look at Green Book. I have the same fucking shit to say about that movie, except that it was more competent. It was. It was better written. Ugh. Ugh. It's a one. I'm. I'm not giving it any more than that. This such a downer. Such a downer. And I hate to end a series on a bummer, but I find it an interesting point to pivot to our next series. Oh, and what's our next series? Well, we like a director series, don't we, Diana? We do. We've had some fun filling in some gaps on those. And we have a director series for somebody who, quite honestly, I feel like I should have seen all of his movies by now. Okay. And we've talked a few times about doing his films, but we're finally taking that plunge. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about the films of Spike Lee. Yeah, he's he's done so much and we've we've seen a lot of his recent work and there are ones that we definitely wanted to see that we just missed when they were in theaters and so he's just a director that we just haven't seen enough of his work. So, I'm I'm excited. I've seen what might be considered his masterpiece. Mhm. I've seen one of his greatest but one of the greatest biopics ever made. Mhm. But I'm missing so much of what he's done and every time he comes out with a movie, it's mm-hmm. always the same thing. Look, it may not be his best, especially recently he's gotten some downtrodden, but it's always him. He's got a very specific perspective in the, and I mean that in the best way. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I love, I loved Black Klansman. We adored that movie. It was so interesting and so well done. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to see like how his work progressed. You know, we did this with Spielberg and that was really interesting because he has th- these Spike is also a person who's just a character into unto themselves, and he's been around for so long that you just kind of can go, oh, of course that's going to be a Spike Lee movie. Of course. Of course that makes sense. And let's remember, it's a Spike Lee joint. joint. So yeah, so I'm excited to fill in all those gaps and really see like how his work has progressed over his career. So Yep, it's going to be awesome. I'm super excited to, to catch up on a lot of these. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.